0: Can I get real with you just for one second? Speak my heart. I sometimes feel like a big hypocrite up here. I come up here every, day, every Sunday and I, I speak about the power of God. I speak about what we are to do and what we are to believe in and how we are to handle ourselves. And uh You know, uh, the enemy has is at our footstool. I know you've heard all of that. You know, I I talk about all that stuff up here on Sunday, and then I go out there and I start to crumble sometimes. Amen. But I know that's just a trick of the devil, and I'm not scared of him. I'm scared of what he makes me do sometimes, and how he makes me react to things sometimes. But I know that he's already lost. And because I have uh, accepted the Lord as my Savior, I know I've already won. Amen? Amen? Amen. So do you feel like that sometimes? You feel like when you're here, you pray and you raise your hands and you say the right things and you hug and you you get out there. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You get out there into the world and then you start to do the world thing. So uh, I always want to try to keep mindful of that. And uh, just like God says uh, in the Word, you, we are born in sin, we are shaped in iniquity. Uh, we, we were born to this. And on our own, we can't do anything about that. But with the help of the true and living God, with the help of the Savior, Jesus Christ, we can accomplish all things. Amen? All right, that's not the message, that's just something that was on my mind, so thank you. Uh, What I want to talk about today is I want to open up by talking about uh, the the Heroes Camp we went to just a week last uh, weekend. And uh, it was, I know I talked about it a little bit last uh, Sunday, and it was was a, a wonderful experience just to see Pat and B.J. Madley, and how they uh, help those kids down there in South Bend and Mississauga area. And uh, these are kids that have come from broken homes, uh, maybe drug-induced areas, crime and gang-induced areas, um, abuse, all these things. And uh, they get to come to the Heroes Camp and they get to feel love. Amen. And uh, and it's a basketball environment. Pat is, uh, for those of you who don't know Pat, Pat was a uh, D1 division, college athlete, getting ready to go to the pros. He had it all together, and then uh, his knee told him otherwise. So his knees blew up on him, and he was physically no longer able to uh, play the game like that. So uh, what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good, and God pointed him toward the uh, ministry. And uh, he, he started this little thing. There was a little patch of pavement and a basketball hoop in the back area of his apartment complex, and he started with two or three kids, and then he went to a, a little shop that had like a, they hung a basketball hoop, and then it was like one or two dozen kids, and and uh, just, the love just started spreading, and it just started feeding, and it just started, it started getting people's attention, and uh, this gentleman that had a big uh, warehouse said, you know what, uh, I got this warehouse, and I love what you're doing. So bring your thing to me. So, And uh, the tornado uh, about 10 years ago blew the roof off the place. God showed up for that. People started investing. People invest in Pat and B.J. Madley's vision because it's really not their vision. It's God's vision. So people show up, and they give what they have. And it's beautiful. And I got, to see, uh, I got to see the kids and how they flocked to them and uh, how they treated the kids and how the kids treated them and, and kids that may not have had any hope suddenly know that somebody loves them. So well, why am I talking about this? Other than to just talk about what an inspiration Pat and BJ Madley are, when we were there uh, this past weekend, we came to the dinner and... Uh, They kept, uh, people kept introducing me as Kenan's praise leader, and uh, members of the praise team at Pat and BJ's group said, well, get ready to do some work tomorrow. So I'm like, okay. I do it every Sunday, right? What's different? Well, I got a little bit intimidated when I went into that area that Saturday, why did I get intimidated? Was it Did they have like a big giant band and a big uh, thing and a 12-piece orchestra and 32 singers? No. They had a guy on the keyboard and some singers. That's what they had. And they were singing this song. And the song was this simple. It was, all you got to do is say Yes. That's all it was. That's all it was. Now, we sing some songs here. We try to go from unison to, to uh, harmony, and there's different verses and choruses and the vamps and bridges and all that stuff. We try, we try to get full with it and everything. And these guys, were all they were doing is they were in a circle, and they were singing, All you got to do is say yes, say yes, say yes. That was it. That was the song. And I walked into that gym, and they got a pretty good sound system in that gym. <laughs> it's really good. So I walked into that gym, and it was uh, dark, but uh, there was a room on the other side where the kids eat and everything, where they were doing praise and worship, and I heard that music coming over the, the speakers. And I'm like, wow, you know? And, and it was so powerful. So I went in there, and I was just standing in there drinking it in. And then all of a sudden, Pat's uh, daughter Kelly gave me the microphone and said, uh, "We're going to lead. We're going to follow you." And all of a sudden, I went from this guy that does it every Sunday to this guy that didn't have a clue what he was about to do next. I turned into that guy. So in the song we sang before. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. For a half a second, I wasn't confident in what I was doing. So it's like, you've talked about it a million times. You know what praise and worship is. You, you're here to worship. You're not here to be a musical phenomenon to these people and to show off and to let people be impressed by you. You're just here to worship with so that's what I did. So I forgot about all that stuff and I started worshiping. I said yes. Amen. So that's what I'm here to talk about. God gives us many things. He provides us many things. He gives us what? He gives us blessings. He gives us his will. That's important. I don't always want to follow God's will, but we all know that it's very important that we follow God's will, Right? He gives us his word. He gives us his blessings, his anointing, his guidance. He gives us his grace and his mercy. And what do we need to do to achieve these things? We need to say yes. We're not good enough. We can't earn it. We can't pay for it. We can't outwork it. We got to say yes. Yes but we always don't. We like to get in the way sometimes. I'll talk a little bit about my own experience. Uh, What I do, I do many different things. I wear different hats, you guys know this. I'm in the children's ministry, I'm in the praise team ministry. Uh, I coach high school sports. Uh, In my job, I have about three different positions where I I play a semi-supervisory role. I wear a lot of hats. And sometimes, when you've proven that you can lead and you can be dependent upon, sometimes the flood just keeps coming. More and more people ask you for more and more things. I'm sure you guys have experienced that in your life. The more able and the more available you are, people get that and they say, well, I'm going to ask them to do this and that and then something else. And I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes I want to be the guy that says no. Sometimes. Yeah. About a couple months ago at my job uh, they talked me into being uh, part of a committee called the Safety Committee. And uh, they were like, Mark, I think you would be excellent at that, will you please be a part of the Safety Committee? So, I said yes. So I found myself rearranging my work schedule so I could attend meetings and do things and be a productive part of it, and, and I was. And then our safety manager, Jeff Lim, came to me the other day and said, Mark, uh, everybody voted on it, and they want you to be the secretary of the safety committee. I tried to get out of it. I tried to say, you know, uh, my handwriting kind of stinks. He goes, he goes, he didn't buy that. He goes, that's all, that's all right. I wanted to say, can't I just be the guy that sits on his butt in the meeting and runs his mouth. Can't I just be that guy? But I didn't. He came to me in a moment of need. And what did I do? I was the guy that said yes. I wanna transition over to what I do today. And I've told this story before, I'll be real quick with it. Uh, When we first got ordained as a church, we were in the Christian school and it was a big event, Uh, people from Judah were coming, Uh, Larry Titus and David Titus from Dallas, Texas were here, Uh, many different leaders from many different churches and areas and their people were here in Emily City in the little Christian church, and it was a big deal. And uh, they wanted praise and worship music. Well at that time they didn't have, Calvin was at Judah, Uh, they didn't have uh, other, we didn't have, I wasn't even a member of the church. Kimberly in her boombox, that's right. That was it. So, Kenan was my boss. And him and uh, another gentleman, his name is Mike, they were uh, together talking about uh, wanting praise and worship. Well, what I used to do, uh, and I still do, I still enjoy it, I was the karaoke guy who was the dog and pony show guy. And, <laughs> and uh, I wanted to sing a little song and try to make you laugh, make you enjoy yourself. you know. And I was sitting at the desk doing my work, and they were talking about it and uh, how they were going to get praise and worship music into this ordainment ceremony. And Mike, who knows me, popped up and said, Hey, Mark's, Mark likes to sing. Maybe Mark will do it. <laughs> and then Keenan looked at me and goes, You want to sing some praise and worship music at my ordainment ceremony? And in my, I didn't do this to his face, but in my heart I was like, so I tried to get out of it I told him I said uh, I don't know any praise and worship music none he goes don't worry about that we'll cover that for you And that's when uh, Kimberly got involved gave me a big old stack of CDs to listen to So I, I believed in God and everything, and I knew he was, should be a part of my life. I wasn't a regular churchgoer. I was a Mother's Day, Easter, and Christmas guy, you know, maybe a New Year's Eve kind of thing, maybe. But uh, I started feeling the power of this music. Amen. Amen. And that made it even worse. <laughs> because I wanted to be that guy that said no. Because I went from the guy who just didn't want to be bothered with it to the guy who was like, how can I give these people what they deserve in this arena? I mean, if you want Margarita Bill by Jimmy Buffett, I, I'm, I got it. <laughs> if you want to hear Bust a Move, I got it. But I'm supposed to be here in front of God's children singing and praising about the power of God. So I tried to get out. And I think it was nerves, I don't know. It was winter time, so I was struggling with a little bit of a health thing, but nothing I couldn't handle. But you know when you really don't want to do something, that little cold becomes real big, right? So I called Keenan the day before and said, "Keenan, I'm not feeling good. I don't think I can do this. How do you think that worked out? He said, "Oh you're do-. He, said, he said, "Oh, you're doing it." <laughs> he said, "There are people that are coming here to hear you sing." People that didn't even know me were coming there to hear me sing. I could have went up there and sounded like alfalfa. They would't have known. So I went up there and they prayed over me, and I went up there and I sang my first and my second praise and worship song, right in that little Christian school. Yeah. Yep, I can only imagine yeah and uh, and I've been saying yes to that ever since amen, amen. amen. Yeah. So we try to get in the way of what God has for us and that never really works out all right you try to get in the way of you try to do your, your own thing. You try to get it uh, on your own way. And uh, I don't know about you, but whenever I try to do that, I, I, always, uh, I always fall to things like uh, fatigue and worry and anxiety and, and everything like that. And if, if you're like that, when you try to do it on your own, and it feels like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, it's because it is. You've asked God to take his hand off you and put your own hand in place. And how does that work out? Not great. You try to get in the way of his guidance because you think your way is better. What does God say? God says that narrow is the way to righteousness. Right? But I want to do the party. I want to do the party lap. Well, the party lap doesn't end up very well most of the time. It's, it's fun in the moment.
1: But if anybody's ever
0: been hungover, you know. That fun does not end well. Again, can I be real with you? There was a time when I was saying yes to the world that I drank so much that I woke up in my own bathtub I couldn't even figure out how I got there. That's just one story I can tell you. I'll embarrass myself more later on. That's just a little saying just to talk about how doing me, ended me up in the bathroom, not knowing how I got in that bathtub. So what I'd like to do, see, God promises us stuff, right? Just about everything he has for us is a promise. He speaks the truth. You've heard him say, God cannot lie. Well, it's not about what God can or cannot do. It's about how God is so perfect, everything that comes out of his mouth is true, right? Right? So when God tells you this will work for you, that's a true statement. When God tells you if you don't do this, this will happen, that's a true statement. Right? So God promises us many, many things, and we've got a choice because he loves us so much that he gives us a choice. Right? So we get the choice to either say yes to that promise, or we get to say no to that promise. So what I've done here today is I've uh, come up with some uh, promises that God has given us, and I want to talk about how we really should embrace these things as well as what may await for us if we don't. Water break. The first one I want to talk about today is uh, the promise. He has promised to supply every need that we have. Notice the operative word there is need, right? He promised to supply us every need that we have. In Philippians 4.19 it says, but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. Now notice God has not promised himself only to the extent of our needs. He has promised himself only to the extent of our needs. What would some of those needs be? Maybe food, water, clothing, salvation, companionship, love. These are things, if you trust him, he'll he'll provide for you one way or another, right? Right? does not include the number of luxuries that we have come to think of as needs. If you're looking for that Corvette, you're praying for that Corvette, he's not promised you that Corvette. You better have a Corvette job. Right? Doesn't pastor talk about that? You can't, have a Cor- you can't have Corvette tastes in a Ford Escort job. right? So what I want to touch on on this one is uh, I want to talk about the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were living, and this is what we talked about in Bible study. We talked about this, right? Um, Adam and Eve were living the perfect lives in the Garden of Eden, and they had provided, God had provided their every need. They didn't know what it was like to need or want anything. Everything was provided. The weather was perfect. Their bodies were perfect. Their health was perfect. The food abundance was perfect. Everything was perfect. Talk about the table being set. Adam and Eve had it all. Until. God had given them the entire garden minus the fruit of one tree. I want to talk about that. Because a lot of people that are skeptics or that are angry at God, they talk about that passage about how, how could God Deny them something. You know, if God really loves me, he'll give me what I want, and I want that tree. All right? But what was God really doing? Yes. Most people tend to focus on Adam and Eve being denied that one tree, but I think a better way to look at it is that leaving that one tree alone allowed them to reap the bounty of the rest of the garden. All right? All they had to do was leave that one tree alone. That's it. I believe the enemy took advantage of the fullness of God's provision when he sent the serpent to intercede. This made me think. You know, we talk about how what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. Right? I think that what God meant for good, the devil can use for evil as well. Do you agree with that? So remember, God took every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, everything that creepeth along the ground, and he gave it to Adam, and he called it what? He called it good. So the serpent was, he passed the test. He was one of the crafty. he was used because he was one of the craftiest animals in the garden, but he was passed the test, and he was good. Adam and Eve did not know what it was like to do without, how to be mistrustful or suspicious, All they had were one another, and they had the voice of God, who had never let them down. All they knew was truth and bliss and love. But what God meant for good, the devil used for evil. And Adam and Eve were easily deceived, because, again, they did not know what it was like to be lied to. Right? It was then that in their time in the garden was finished thankfully the story was not over. So God took the serpent, or the devil took the serpent, and the serpent talked them into doing something they would not have done. But instead of just saying yes, because God said you can eat of anything, but not of this tree, and he even gave them the consequences. He said that is sin, and the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. And I think he was probably talking about both a physical death and also a separation from me death. Probably heavy on the other one, on the second one. So we've been trying to make up for that ever since. Thank you for Jesus on that one. Amen. God has promised us that his grace is sufficient for us. In fact, he made the provision for our salvation by his grace through faith. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians 1-10 through for this. It says, as of you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work to those who are disobedient. Notice he said, you were dead in your transgressions. All of us also lived among them at one time. Even the best of us live in that world on some level who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath Sometimes that's hard to reconcile, right? I do these things. Not really bad. Not hurting anybody. Why is God mad at me? He's not mad at you. He's fulfilling his promise. Which is anything that contradicts from my will, which my will is what creates the best for you. I can't give you my full love if you won't listen. Right? That's our choice. So what we call wrath is the consequence of our own doing. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, and mercy is what? Keeping us from what we do deserve. That's not so good. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So Christ, he died, he rose again, and he paved the way so that you and I can do the same thing. We can die this fleshly life, and we can rise again and sit at the right hand of the Father and actually look at him in the face in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. That's what I just got done talking about. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. So we have to say yes to to his grace Because if we can't latch on to him, all we have left is ourselves, and we are not suffice. Not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is through an obedient faith that we have access into the grace of God. I want you guys to put this one in your head a little bit. For we are God's handiwork. We are something that God has made that he is proud of. I don't know about you, but I look back on my life, I look myself in the mirror and go, handiwork? But I judge myself a lot more harshly than he does, I think. He gives me the opportunity to receive a sacrifice and be made anew. It is through an obedient faith that we have access unto the grace of God. An example of this can be found in John chapter 6. Oh, I like this one. After these things went over, this, after these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. So Jesus came and he started healing people, and people thought, "Man, this guy's something else. I need to figure this guy out." And they became the groupies, if you will. They traveled and they followed him. When what were they looking for? They were looking for the prize. They weren't looking for God, they were looking for what Jesus was doing, which was what? Performing miracles. Uh, Maybe something that's going on in my life that Jesus can do for me. They were there for the prize. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, which was the feast of the Jews, was upon them. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him. So he lifted up his eyes from the mountain and he saw the masses, 5,000 plus people just waiting for him. I think pastors talked about this before, but we got to actually put a microphone on me so the people in the back room can hear. Could you imagine being one of 5,000 and having Jesus being on the mountaintop and you actually receiving his word from the back row? Right? Right? Maybe the acoustics were really good in that mountain. But I think God did what God does. God provided the environment so that these people could be reached. Amen? Amen. He saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that they may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he was about to do. He was kind of messing with him a little bit. And he said to Philip, you know, hey, look at all these people. We've got to feed these people. How, we got enough money to buy bread for all these people? And he knew. He knew what was going to happen. But he wanted Philip to be a little worried about it. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. So Philip did the math and decided we weren't going to feed 5,000 pieces with 200 penny worth of bread. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here, and he has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? So they did an inventory, and they said, What we got is not good enough. So then Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in the number of about 5,000. And notice they said the men. i got to imagine that there were women and children there as well. So the number was probably more than 5,000. But it was a lot. And Jesus took the loaves, and he had given thanks. He distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were sat down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. You know what I like about that? Is God prevented, God, God prepared or provided a miracle supplied the people with what they needed, and Jesus made this point, make sure that nothing is wasted. Right? Gather up the bread. Gather up the scraps. Make sure that nothing is wasted. What do we do? We do that, don't we? We get a good time in our life. We get a blessing, and we take what we need from it, and then we forget about it. Or we don't pay it back, or we don't uh, change in any way. We waste it. You just want the prize sometimes. Therefore they granted. They gathered them together, and they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and over unto them that had eaten. Which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. So 5,000 pieces. They took five loaves of bread and two fish. God provided. They fed 5,000 people and they still had 12 baskets of the remains. So God, what what pastor talks about that, you ask for a softball, God gives you a what? A beach ball. So you ask for a blessing, and if you come to it with a pure heart, you come to it with God in your heart, God will not only bless you, but he'll bless you more so than what you've even asked. By the human experience, there wasn't nearly enough bread and fish to feed the 5,000, but God's grace... Proved to be efficient. Amen? Yeah. Uh, The next one I want to talk about is God has promised that His children will not be overtaken by temptation. Didn't say His children will never be tempted. He said His children will never be overtaken by temptation. Instead, He assures us that the way of escape will be provided. This promise is illustrated in the passage of Daniel in the lion's den. At the time, King Darius appointed 120, I I don't know if I'm saying this word right, satraps, more or less managers, to rule throughout the kingdom. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators by his exceptional qualities, that the king planned to set him to rule over the entire kingdom. So Daniel was a believer in God. And he was not in a community that were really believers in his God. And he was so good, the king was going to put him over the top of the entire kingdom. At this, the administrators tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. So they, they found no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor neglect, nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So... As the enemy does, the manager said, this guy is never going to break. He's never going to be found faultily. So what we're going to do is we're going to set the field up to where if he follows his God, he'll be breaking our law. So they put that plan into motion. So the administrators went went as a group to the king and said, they started this off. I think this actually was pretty, pretty clever. Uh, they said, may King Darius live forever. So they started off by kissing his behind a little bit, making him feel nice and important, fluffing him up a little bit, because I'm about ready to make you listen to me and make you think it was your decision. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, the governors, have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next thirty days, except to you, your Majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now they knew that Daniel would never follow that law. So the goal was to catch him breaking the king's law, throw him in the lion's den. The lions will eat him or Daniel. Now I get to be me, and I get to rule as I want to rule. Where my rulership was threatened before, I'm about ready to handle that. That's what they thought. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing, so it cannot be altered, in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree into writing. He's like, all right, that sounds pretty good. Nobody can pray to anybody but me. That sounds like a pretty good law. Now Daniel learned that the decree had been published. He went home to his upstairs room where the window opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So he didn't let this worldly law affect his way at all. He decided, yeah, I prayed to God yesterday. I'm going to pray to God today. I'm going to do it again tomorrow. And King Darius can uh, deal with that, for lack of a better term. Sorry about that. Lost my place. Then these men went as a group, and they found Daniel praying to, and asking God for help. So they went to the king, and they spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a, a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being, any, of the, any other than you, your majesty, notice they keep saying your majesty. They want to make sure he keeps feeling haughty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, Yeah. He said, the decree stands in accordance with the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. He said, yeah, I did. So then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty. Again, lift him up. Or to the decree that you put into writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. And he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. So even though he put the decree into law, he still wanted wanted Daniel to be okay. Then the men went to a group as King David and said to him, Remember, your majesty, now that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edit that this king issues shall be changed. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. The king returned to his palace, and spent the night without eating and without entertainment, being brought to him, and he could not sleep. So he had an issue with doing this to Daniel. But he did it anyway. He's hoping that the God that Daniel prays to shows up and rescues him. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried into the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty." So the king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in God. At the king's demand, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered him, them and crushed all their bones." So that's what we were talking about. The consequence of not following God's will gets you thrown into the lion's den. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and the peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. So that got their attention. You ever gotten one of those emails um, you're the winner of $500 million, and you open it, and now that you're paying attention, do you really want to, you want to change your car insurance? You ever gotten that? So he starts, the, he starts the letter with, may you prosper greatly. That got everybody's attention. Well, I want to prosper greatly. What's this guy talking about? I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. So when he brought Daniel out of the lion's den, and he was not damaged at all by the lions, he knew that the one who helped Daniel had to be the most powerful of all things. He knew. So as a king, he made the decree that every every person must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. So again, King Darius says, For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion. So the king was given proof by his own eyes that God is the true and living God, and he can rescue, and he can save. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Darius, king of the Medes, said to Daniel, Thy God, whom thou serveth, continually... He will deliver thee. And he did. He delivered Daniel from the den of the lions. And he'll deliver you. Amen? I know I always say amen the second after you say amen. I'm just going to give that one to you from now on. When Maria says amen, that's my cue to tell everybody to say amen. God has promised us victory over death. He first resurrected Jesus by the way of assuring our resurrection. So he assured our resurrection by first resurrecting Jesus. And in Acts 2, it reads, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through them, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So when he did that with the 11, Jesus wasn't there. He was was speaking out to the crowds about what he knew to be true, and he told the masses that this man was brought to you by God. He did signs, miracles, and wonders that you saw. He was nailed in the cross because of you and 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 the help of the wicked men. But know that God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was what? Impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Then he follows up by saying, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. Now, in the Jewish world, David was about as important as you could get, pretty close as far as a man who had lived in the world. And Peter is telling him, this guy, he died, and his tomb is still here. But he was a prophet, and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Now, what he had talked about there, he was talking about how people did, in fact, witness the raising of Jesus. And he was just letting them know, you guys know that he died. And now then he came back. In case anybody wants to deny that, he was just making that important. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and what you now hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus with whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. Notice he uh, says that again. He lets the people know this person who's the Lord and the Messiah, you crucified him. He let them know you're the ones that did this, guys. You need to pay for this. Peter replied, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord God will call. So what does that mean? I think that means that uh, that, that he's saying that, uh, Peter is saying that this, this thing that uh, Jesus has done, he has done not just for the Jew or the Gentile, but for any and everybody that will receive it. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to the number that day. The fellowship of believers They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and the signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians, For I deliver unto you the first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again in the third day, according to the scriptures. Later on he adds, But thanks to God, which giveth us victory, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter let them know what it was to do: repent, be saved, be baptized. And what did they do? They said yes. And then they started living in God, and they started benefiting, and they started uh, uh, their, their their home lives improved, their finances improved, their, their overall life just improved. Even though they were part of the group that crucified God to begin with. No matter what we've done, all we got to do is say yes. And he will will forgive us. And what does the church say? Amen. God has promised us that all things work together for those who love and serve him faithfully. In Romans 8.28, it may be difficult for us to see and understand how this is accomplished at the times, but God has promised us, and he will deliver. And we know that in all things God works for those to the good, for those who love him, who, I've been, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew that he also predestined to be conformed by the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those that he predestined, he also called. Those that he called, he also justified. Those that he justified, he also glorified. So we are more than conquerors. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen it is God who justifies who then is the one who condemns no one Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us that I think is such a great deal you know we, think, we, we don't always think about that. God, he died and he raised up to the right hand. And a lot of people think that he's just down there just looking at us, kind of shaking his head every once in a while like God does. But he's over there and he's interceding to God for us. And he's saying, yeah, he messed that up, but you know what he's been going through, God. You know what she's been going through, God. You know what they've been going through, God. You know you love them. You know, I imagine sometimes God wants to put his giant foot down here and squash us all. But Jesus intercedes. Amen. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or the persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is how the world sees us. I think that's true. Those that don't believe, those that think that we're just up here wasting our time, praying to a big ghost in the sky, they think that there's really nothing. You know, and they, they, they think that we're just lambs to the slaughters. They think, and we face, when they say we face death all day long, we face uh, oppression, we face condemnation, we face uh, uh, argument from the other side, we face all that stuff by a group of people who just refuse to know who God is. So that's how the world sees us, but what does God say? God says, no, in these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life now that we've received that we're just going to love God just right for the rest of our lives? Or does it mean that no matter what we do, God will never stop loving us? I tend to think that it's the latter. God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never stop loving us. We may stray away, but God will never leave. Amen? God has promised that those who believe in Jesus and are baptized for the forgiveness of their sins will be saved. These last couple are kind of similar, but I'm going to go through them anyway. And um, In Mark 16, it says, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whosoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The baptism represents transition. Just as God was transitioned from body to spirit, Jesus, rather, sorry. Just as Jesus was transitioned from body to spirit, as he ascends to the right hand of the Father, Jesus died and he rose again to pay for the sins of all mankind. This allowed everyone both Jew and Gentile, the ability to receive this gift, repent of their sins, and reconnect with God in a way that was lost by the transgression of Adam and Eve back in the beginning. Notice in the beginning of that, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Even people in areas of the world that didn't know where Bethlehem was or Jerusalem was. There there was people in Asia. There was people in Europe. There was people in Rome and Greece. He didn't say just stick in your little circle and do your work. He said go to the nations and preach to everybody. So that's why it's important that that we don't leave our God here in this building that we go out and we be his child out there in the businesses and in the stores and in the courtrooms and in the hospitals. Said, the light is not to be kept under a bushel. Amen? God has promised his people eternal life. This pretty much sounds like the same thing I just said, right? Eternal life can never be purchased in any way It is eternally, is entirely a free gift. The cost of this gift is the death of the Savior, Jesus Christ. The gift of eternal life is available to anyone who, after recognizing his own sinfulness, places his or her personal faith in Jesus Christ as the only Savior. As the only Savior. It's not Pastor Kenan. It's not mom and dad or grandpa. It's definitely not the president of the United States. Both future, present, and past. All of them. It ain't them. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. We have, to, we have to basically bundle up our own sinful nature and give it away and say, I give this all to you. Please, you're the only one that can do it. Save me from my sins. In John 14:6, Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me." I think that's pretty clear. You want to get to God, you got to go through Jesus. Amen. In Acts 4:10, speaking of Jesus, Peter said, "There is salvation in no one else, for there is no one no one name other than under heaven that has been given among men." by which we must be saved. John is uh, very, very uh, passionate when he says this, and he writes, He who has the Son, the big ass Son, Jesus, has life. But he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So that's pretty clear, Right? If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you do not have Jesus, you do not have eternal life. By accepting this promise or gift, we can look forward to an eternal existence in the presence of God. And as Pastor Keenan would say, I would call that a great deal. Wouldn't you? All right. That is what I have for you today. Thank you for listening. I hope it reached and touched any, some of you. So. Let's give God a round of applause.